Somebody get a doctor. I need a shot of medicine, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bad Medicine Podcast. This is take 42 for some that don't even know. <laughs> a lot of technical difficulties, but we are here. We are good to go. We got a special guest. He is the man, the myth, the 80s legend, Dave Burke. That's right. Two Daves, one podcast. Sometimes referred to as the Appleton Oak. The Appleton <laughs> Holy shit. I didn't know anybody was referred to as the Appleton Oak, but I'll take it. That might stick. That might stick, actually. The Apple Hunt. I, I might run with that. I'm thinking you should. I, I just might. I think uh, we'll, 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 we'll do it. We'll do a, uh, uh, God, they, uh, when they test stuff. Now, now I'm having a brain fart. You messed me up, Dave. A focus group. We'll do a focus group. <laughs> You'll see what works. Yeah, we'll see if people like us are uh, Appleton Oak. Austrian Oak is already taken. So, yeah, that's all right. Trademark, yeah, no. Dave. Trademark it. TM. All right, well, starting off here on the Bad Medicine Podcast, for those who don't know, uh, maybe Dave, you could give us a quick little rundown about um, where you've been, where you're going, and how you got there. Yeah, uh, kind of a crazy story, especially the last uh, six or years or so for <clears throat> the last six or so years for me. So I grew up here in the valley. Um, you know, went to college in Oshkosh. Uh, went there for communications. Got out of college, did marketing, and then in 2007, I uh, I registered on the Muscular Development Forums. Uh, for those of you younger listeners, there there are these things called discussion forums on the <laughs> internet. And this was before, uh, right after Facebook started, long before Instagram. But basically, yeah. So basically, I just you know I, I registered on these forums, and it was a, a cool way to connect with other bodybuilders and talk about competitions and stuff like that. And you know, hundreds of thousands of members. So. Muscular Development Forums uh, were the biggest bodybuilding forums still um, going today. But, uh, you know, my uh, my discussion styles and my commentary are very like, very much like how I am in real life. And, and anybody who knows me knows that that means uh, I talk entirely too much. I'm probably too opinionated. And uh, I have usually way too much to say and not enough time or people listening. So, but that was, uh, that was my discussion style. You know, people talk a lot about keyboard warriors and how people are online versus how they are in real life. And, and how I was online was exactly how I was in real life. And the people running the website uh, liked that. So, you know, I started just posting in, in 2007 and 2009, they made me what's called a, a forum leader, which is not any sort of high up position, <laughs> but 2011, I got uh, promoted, I guess you could call it, to a moderator of the website. And then in 2013 was really when I had a, a breakthrough opportunity. And um, I say breakthrough opportunity and not just breakthrough because it was like a, a one in a million lucky shot for me. So the online editor at the time um, was looking to add to their contest coverage team. Now, in bodybuilding, very much like in football or basketball or a lot of professional sports, the analysts are former Hall of Famers, people who are experts in the industry. So when the fans watch, they know that the person that is you know, covering these contests or something is not only a recognizable name, but somebody has a lot of um, experience in the industry. Um, what the online editor wanted to try was taking kind of like a, a normal Joe Blow, I guess you could say, 
from the bodybuilding industry in just so the fans could relate to one of their commentators on a little bit different level. Now I had had, uh, <clears throat> I'd been emceeing shows for a number of years at this time. I started in 2008. So I'd been emceeing shows for five years. So she knew I was comfortable on a microphone and in front of audiences. Um, I had, uh, won the Mr. Wisconsin the previous year, you know, it was a communications and did marketing. So it was a, it was a good fit. And, um, I started off in 2013 on a very, uh, a very probationary uh, period, I guess you could say. They were going to bring me on, do a couple shows, see how it went, and uh, things went really well. And so I got brought on full time for contest coverage in 2014 and 15. Uh, I've had an opportunity to travel the world uh, for you know four or five years. It was 30 weekends a year to different cities, different countries, Europe multiple times, Africa, Australia, Canada, Mexico. So. It was a really unique opportunity for me. Um, in 2016, I took over as the online editor. Um, only lasted a year. Uh, 2017, uh, muscular development made some changes, and uh, they still have a magazine going. And as anybody knows, print is kind of on its way out. Um, and so they had to, they combined the online editor of the magazine position, or excuse me, the online editor position with the senior editor of the magazine. Uh, so my job got put on the chopping block. And uh, I was lucky enough in, in 2017 to start working with uh, Muscle and Fitness and Flex. And so I just kind of kept on rolling. Um, the, the, the biggest change for me was Muscle and Fitness and Flex doesn't cover quite as many shows. They stick to the big shows, the Arnold Classic, the Olympia, some of the big NPC national level shows where muscular development covered everything. So I was traveling nonstop. Um, but since I stopped uh, traveling to cover shows, I've picked up a lot of MC work across the country and stuff like that and some stuff over in Europe as well. So... Um, I have a few months off uh, in November, December, and January, and then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, January, February. Uh, but once March hits, I'm on the road two, three weekends a month for for nine months straight, and it's a it's a great opportunity. So it's been it's been really cool. And you know, I, I know I talk a lot about travel, but the coolest opportunity is all the people I've been able to meet. Um, you know, I grew up as a as a big fan of all the bodybuilders and the '80s action stars and wrestlers and stuff, and. You know, uh, being backstage and having the media access, I've gotten to meet Arnold Schwarzenegger and Hulk Hogan and The Rock and and Sylvester Stallone and and all these wrestlers and action stars and all the bodybuilders I really looked up to. I've been able to meet all the Mr. Olympias um, that are still with us. So it's it's been an it's been an absolutely incredible ride. Uh, I've been doing it again since 2013, but it's still it's still very surreal in a sense, you know, when I'm out there and traveling and, and working guy, with guys that I idolized, you know, for my entire youth. So bit of a crazy ride, man. <laughs> it's been fun. <laughs> so you mentioned that you travel nine months out of 12 pretty frequently. Uh, and I, eventually we want to swing back into the Arnold and talk more about that, but I'm kind of a diet guy as well. Uh, pro not to probably the extent of, as you are, but can you kind of explain like, it's easy being home during the week and getting your diet in, getting in a nice routine like that. But how does a guy like you uh, keep a routine on the weekend with being on the road like that? Yeah, luckily, most of the hotels that we go to for the bigger events, I'll stay at the host hotel. Um, in a host hotel for these bodybuilding and fitness events, you usually have a custom menu just for the athletes. So that's that's very standard. That's very standard in the industry. Um, as far as travel time and stuff like that, 
uh, you know, standard meal prep. I, uh, you know, I'll make sure to, you know, prep my meals ahead of time, but that's, that's only if I'm dieting when I'm not, uh, when I'm dieting for a competition and when I do compete, it's usually a four or five month diet that I'm, I'm very strict as far as making sure my meals are prepared ahead of time. Otherwise, if I'm not dieting for a show and I'm traveling, I'll just, just eat whatever, you know, airplane food, burgers when I get there, you know, I try it's to pretty keep much it- game on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I work out enough during the week. I can afford to, you know, eat airport food and whatever. But I mean, there's there's been times where, um, you know, I was traveling and even in dieting and stuff where, you know, because of my schedule or whatever, I didn't have food prepped and you just, you know, you make it work. Every single restaurant in this country serves some sort of variation of a grilled chicken salad, you know, whether it be Subway or McDonald's or whatever. Or So um, if, if you can make an effort, you know, you can you make it work. It's not always the most fun, but you can make it work. Absolutely. So, you know, what I find, I guess, the most interesting about your store, because <clears throat> You and I go back a little bit as far as, you know, bumping into each other at the gym and, you know, sharing some stories, uh, you know, about some different things. And the thing that I just found, you know, the most fascinating, as with our guest from last week with uh, with Ben, was that, you know, you didn't have to be in Chicago or New York or L.A. You were just a guy who was very passionate about um, what he wanted to do, and the Internet allowed you to pursue that and, you know, without having to necessarily take that big leap of jumping into a city and, and hoping you could meet people and know the right people and get tied in, you know, you were just able to follow your passion. And again, using the internet, like I'm sure a number of our guests are going to be, it's just fascinating to me, you know, that you can do that. Um, yeah. Appleton. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point because uh, the internet and in and, and social media, Instagram and, and, and Facebook more specifically, even more so than the internet have, have changed the fitness industry entirely. But anybody who follows, you know, bodybuilding or wrestling or even fitness knows that in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and in the nineties, if you were anybody, you had to be in Venice, California. I mean, that was it. You know, there was, there was a New York crowd as well. Um, they have their, their East coast Mecca, Bet France, this powerhouse gym out there, which there's still a lot of the pros that train out there. But if you wanted exposure, you pretty much had to be in New York or California, uh, even even Florida, Texas, those states, you know, a little bit there, but you had to be in California. And yeah, absolutely. The uh, the Internet and uh, and social media has has made it able for people to have a voice from anywhere in the country. And it's changed the way a lot of bodybuilders live as well. I mean, most bodybuilders, they just live where they live. And they don't move anywhere for the, you know, for the sake of competing. You know, you, you fly somewhere four or five times a year to compete and you go back home and you can connect with the fans and, and everything like that uh, just from home, you know. <clears throat> so, you know, there's still bodybuilders who are pursuing acting and modeling and things like that. And in that case, you know, being in California is a little bit more ideal just for um, being accessible when they're doing commercials and casting calls and, and things like that. But as far as, you know, being in the media um, and the side that I'm on, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, 20, 20, 30 years ago, there's zero chance that some dude from Appleton, Wisconsin would have a chance to, you know, link up with one of the biggest uh, media outlets in, in bodybuilding and fitness and have an opportunity to travel the world. Yeah, but uh, here I am. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> and so I guess to kind of piggyback off, you know, talking about how the internet has, you know, affected, you know, things like bodybuilding and, and personal fitness and things like that. Um, I guess when you first started, I guess, because, um, 
not a lot of people might know this about myself, but my mom used to do bodybuilding as well. So I remember seeing, Diane? yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, so I remember seeing like all the old supplements back in the I'm day, have to and talk like, to that woman, and like how different everything was. I guess like what are some of the changes that you've seen in you know in your career, just in terms of whether it be you know certain uh, diets, whatever fad supplements you might see, or I guess some of the things that stood out in your mind as seeing the industry really kind of change. Yeah, I'll say the the biggest change that I've seen uh, to the fitness industry is social media, um, and more specifically Instagram. It's uh, and it's 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 hurt the bodybuilders actually as far as their their financial end. So basically, how I used to be when you were a bodybuilder is you turned pro. If you were a good competitor, you got a magazine contract, you got a supplement contract. And, you know, you got a clothing deal and there were all these things, but the, the advertising mediums were pretty much, uh, you know, you put your pictures in magazines. Oh, this person takes this supplement and whatever. And that's, you know, as far as tracking sales and stuff, I'm sure that was very difficult. In today's day and age, um, <clears throat> the uh, the companies that pay these guys, there's, there's no more magazine contracts. So bodybuilders don't get those at all anymore. Um, as far as supplement companies, they're more concerned about, uh, you know, engagement on social media and are you moving products? You know, you could be the biggest bodybuilder in the world, but if, if you know, if you're kind of a, a ho-hum personality and you don't connect well with the fans on social media, you know, you could have a million followers just from being a successful bodybuilder, but you could have somebody with, you know, 100,000 followers or, or half of that that, uh, that really has good engagement with their, you know, with their fan base and things like that that uh, that have higher sales. And so the supplement companies are looking a lot more as what can this athlete do for my company as opposed to well, we got to have, you know, we got to have so-and-so signed down for us. So it's uh, it's been a huge, um, a huge change in that way. Um, you know, one of the biggest things with the Internet and social media is that uh, it's it's really a double edged sword and that um, there's such a wealth of information now. You know, when I was growing up, you read bodybuilding magazines and, you know, talk to old meatheads at the gym if you want a diet or training advice. And that was pretty much it. And now there's an infinite amount of, of knowledge and research and stuff out there. But uh, on the flip side of that, there's an infinite amount of idiots and bro science <laughs> and, just, and just nonsense. And so it's, uh, it's, it's created a very interesting dynamic in that uh, all the world or all the information that, that you should need is right there at your fingertips. But there's also uh, just as much bad advice, you know, waiting to be shoved down your throat from self-proclaimed gurus and stuff like that. And, I don't know, man. I could, I could honestly, I could, I could talk for an hour or two about um, how, or way longer than that, about how, <laughs> about how the internet and social media has impacted uh, the fitness industry, and it, it's impacted every industry. You know, if you look at, I just saw on Forbes the other day, uh, Kylie Jenner is the the youngest person to ever become a billionaire, and people are. Dude, we were just talking. Quinn and I were t texting each other about that, and Quinn texted me one day out of the blue about the Kylie Jenner thing. It was just weird, and then I looked it up, and you guys were right. It's just that social media, and then yeah, boom, she's like, everything. "Well, if you, if you think million. about what she's, you know, what she's, what twenty one, twenty two years old. I don't follow the Kardashians or whatever, oh, but come on, everybody. Here's here's, here's the thing: Liar. if you're if you're a business trying to advertise, and your target market is say sixteen to twenty five year olds, where are you going to advertise? You're not putting it in magazines. You're not putting it on primetime TV. Kids that age 
don't look at internet banner ads. Where are you going to reach your target audience? You're going to do it on social media. Okay, well, how do you do it on social media? You're going to put it in pop-up, you know, when you're scrolling through your Instagram feed, ads in your story? No, we want people to promote my products. So it's different than it was in that they used to have the models wear the product. Now it's the same thing. They're just posting for it on social media. She's making two, 300,000, sometimes even more per post. Um, and and so and so look out we, for that Kylie Jenner bad medicine podcast post geez, that's coming you guys, soon. You guys give her a call. But we've <laughs> we've we've seen that in uh, we've seen that in social media too. There's I mean there's guys right now making tons of money that have never accomplished anything as far as competitive bodybuilding goes because they connect well with the fans. They've got huge social media. You know you have guys like Joey Swole and and Bradley Martin. And uh, and Simeon Panda and Simeon's done well in, in bodybuilding, but he's he's not you know a Mr. Olympia or anything. And these guys are killing it because you know they've learned how to connect with fans and they've they've taken the opportunities that came in front of them for social media. And it's 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 crazy, but you know these companies have to have a way to reach people, and social media is the way they do it. And, and that's that's the direction things have gone. It's 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 insane, you know. And it's 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 turned the fitness industry and just about every industry inside out as far as advertising and reaching your target markets. So when we talk about like fitness and diets, like I wanted to get your, like I asked Dave about a diet that I heard that like Terry Crews does the the fasting diet, and Dave was just obviously like you I know, buried it, Dave. I don't care for fasting, but that could be a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, he was just like I don't know. I never tried it, so I wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that because you know I obviously you see Terry Crews and how big he is, so it might work. And you know a couple of guys I work with do it, and they're in pretty good shape. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on it. No, I mean it's uh, at the end of the day, the the progress that you gonna you're making is going to be calories in versus calories out. If you have intermittent fasting and you fast for sixteen hours. And in your eight-hour window, you have ten thousand calories. <laughs> that shit ain't. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, that, yeah, whatever you want. Swear, to swear, swear. That shit ain't gonna work for you. You know. There you go. It's, so it's all about. Look, if you and I know, I know a lot of people who do intermittent fasting and they like it. And there's a lot of studies as to why you benefit from it. Um, from a bodybuilder standpoint, um, it's you know if you're looking to get really big. Um, generally it's, it's not ideal because, you know, you, you want to consume food throughout the course of the day to make sure you're maximizing uh, protein synthesis and, and muscle gains. And I actually had a, a, a great opportunity, um, two years ago at the Mr. Olympia weekend in Las Vegas, I was the host for the, uh, GNC, um, workshop stage that they had there. And so they had all these big names. One of them was Jim Stepani and anybody who follows Jim Stepani, Jim is huge. He's, uh, was the, uh, science editor for muscle and fitness for 10 years. He's a super 10 time black belt PhD or some shit. I don't know. But uh, he, he, you know, he spent a lot, an extensive period of time going over intermittent fasting. And, you know, for somebody looking to have decent muscle tone and uh, just stay in good shape, it's definitely an option. You know, it, um, I think the biggest thing with intermittent fasting that helps people the most is it creates a little bit more structure than they might have in their normal diet. You know, okay, I'm going to eat from noon until eight, or I'm going to eat from noon until midnight. And some people, um, Joe Rogan did a, an amazing podcast with a, uh, a doctor who does like a two hour window, I think he said, or a one or two hour window. And he went back to, you know, all the way back to caveman days where you hunted, you killed something, you stuffed your face, and you might not eat again for another day or two. And so there's a lot of studies that show that intermittent fasting is good. Um, it, it takes a little while to adjust from what I understand as far as, uh, you know, 
not being hungry earlier in the mornings and kicking that sort of stuff. But and other other people will do what they call carb fasting. So I know that's that's very popular where you know, you'll have people have breakfast or their first two meals of the day, but if their first two meals are, you know, at eight and ten AM, they'll have just egg whites in the morning and then maybe some chicken and, and vegetables a little bit later. And their window to take carbohydrates is from twelve until eight. And I've done I've done that just because, you know, I I eat enough to where I don't feel like, and, and, you know, people are right. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but I feel like I get enough food from the previous day where I'm going to be okay. But um, at the end of the day with all the diets, keto diets, paleo diets, Atkins diet, carb diet, you know, mustard diet, I don't give a shit what you're on. At the end of the day, the calories you take in has to be less than the calories that you're expending. And if you can accomplish that one way or another, you're going to lose weight. Certainly, there's more healthy ways to do it and ways that are going to benefit individuals better. But there was a guy on the old forums. This was before even muscular development forums, Adonis something. The guy everybody loved to hate. And he always was arguing with bodybuilders and calling us meatheads and stuff about you know their chicken and rice diets. And so he to just to prove a point – about the calories in versus calories out, he decided to do a cutting diet on nothing but Krispy Kremes and Oreos is what it was. <laughs> and so, and so each, but it was, so each Sounds day, like each day, um, he would like take a picture of the food he ate, right? Like put it on a table, like here's my donuts and here's my Oreos. <laughs> and it was very easy to track and like, this is what I, and he got shredded, you know? And essentially, all you would have to do is, hey, I'm going to reduce my Oreos by two until you're at whatever that calorie range you need is. Now, that being said, if you put 2,000 calories or 2,500 calories of Oreos and Krispy Kremes on a table next to 2,500 calories of chicken and potatoes and vegetables, the volume of food that you get to eat uh, with junk food to consume that is going to be significantly less. And the nutritional value is going to be nothing. Uh, But... It's it's calories in versus calories out. If you had look, if you have five thousand calories of nothing but shit, you know, beer and tacos and Oreos, and you have somehow managed to stuff your face with ten thousand calories of of chicken and lean beef and rice and stuff, you're gonna get fat on the healthy foods. Um, so uh, you know, like I said, there's there's so much research out there for uh, the benefits of intermittent fasting, and I know a lot of people that have done it with a fair amount of success, but. It's a lot of it is analyzing, you know, what sort of lifestyle do I live? You know, how much food do I need? You know, like, you know, my daytime job right now, I literally sit on my ass all day, you know, and I have very little need for carbohydrates while I'm working as far as energy expenditure goes. So, I mean, for me to do uh, carb fasting and not have carbs until noon, it's not like I'm going to show up at work and be like, oh my God, I'm dead. You know, whereas, you know, if if somebody, if somebody was working a, a hard construction job, and they started at, you know, let's say they were doing an eight-hour window and they were doing 16 hours, you know. So they went from noon until 8 p.m. was their eight-hour window and they did a 16-hour intermittent fast. And look, if you had to start working at 6 a.m. and you were busting balls from 6 a.m. until noon, you're probably going to be dead-ass tired. And in that case, I wouldn't recommend it. you probably burn a lot of calories. But so a lot of it has to just do with looking at your lifestyle and uh, seeing if that fits your lifestyle. But definitely has its benefits. But at the end of the day, like I said, you can intermittent fast. But if you're stuffing your food with shitty food for, or stuffing your face with shitty food for that eight-hour window, it's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it's you really need to start to kind of know your body and know what works for you, and you know, like you were saying, know your lifestyle. Um, you know, because you know, to go along with that, you know, the old adage of you can't 
How does it go? You can't outwork a shitty diet. You can't out cardio a bad diet. Holy yeah. shit, do I know that one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, guys. If I could, if I could just increase my cardio to like, I don't mind cardio. Some people hate it. Some people hate it, and I, I don't mind it at all. You know, I'll get on the treadmill or an elliptical or whatever, or a stair climber, and just watch Netflix. Netflix and cell phones and tablets is the best thing to happen to like having to do cardio ever. You know. <laughs> Yeah. But um, no, you could and, – and the, and the calories that a treadmill te- is telling you that you're burning never equals out to you no, know what never. you're taking in. You know, what? if I was – You're was lying. Like, <laughs> if I had two slices of pizza and it says 500 calories and I had to – and I had to, all I had to do to negate that was burn 500 calories on an elliptical, trust me, I would. I do cardios for – you know, six hours a day if I can do it and still have pizza and getting ready for a competition. But no, you can't, you can't out, uh, out cardio a bad diet and, and it gets shoved in our faces all the time. But, you know, abs and all that's made in the kitchen and your diet, regardless of whether your goals are weight loss or muscle gain is, you know, 60 to 80 percent. Uh, you know, I would never say lower than 50 percent, but it does, doesn't matter what you're doing in the gym. If you're not matching your efforts in the kitchen, you're never going to get to where you want to be or it's going to take you 10 times longer than it should. And I have seen a bit of a trend, and I know you know a couple of guys I know who spend a lot of time on the road. They're big fans of like the meal services, right? So you know you you get signed up, they send you the stuff frozen, two three minutes in the microwave, you're ready to go. What's your opinion on those? Because I know they are a bit pricey. Yeah, the meal. Pricey, but yeah, the meal meal prep services are are fantastic if you can you know if you can afford it. I mean, I can go to Sam's Club and buy broccoli and chicken breasts and beef and and i don't give a shit if somebody thinks it's ghetto to buy that stuff at sam's club i do it and <laughs> it's worked for me right i've so, never heard that before ever no I've, I've i've gotten beef at walmart and people are like how can you eat beef from walmart i'm like well, t- what yeah and i never want to like insult people for whatever but i'm like ah, it seems to be working a little bit better for me than your double pump right there in no the but it's yeah right it's um no, but the the meal prep companies are expensive. But if you can afford it, it's it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you have all your and I mean, some of these companies, I mean, they let you pick your stuff down to a T. You know, like it's not like Nutrisystem where they mail you, you know, three meals and you know you got to have a, a little bit of you know wiggle room in your diet. I mean, you can narrow it down to this is how many ounces of this protein I want, this many carbs, this many vegetables. And they're fantastic. And yeah, you can throw them in a microwave. I have a little thing that plugs in. It's called a Hot Logic Mini. You can get them on Amazon for like forty bucks. Um, but you just plug it into an outlet, and it's got a little hot plate, and it looks like a little little mini lunchbox. And it heats up your food in that, and it won't burn it because the hot plate only gets so much. So if you're on an airplane or in a in a truck that has a you know an AC adapter or whatever, you don't even need a microwave anymore. You can heat your food up and and uh and go that way but uh even even if you know for people who are on the road the biggest thing the biggest thing and i just had this discussion with somebody the other way the most underrated food in the entire world is the sandwich it's it's the the sandwich somewhere in the bodybuilding and fitness world the sandwich got just thrown to the curb and got completely disrespected if you get if you get like six or eight ounces of a, a lean meat and you get like two slices of Ezekiel bread or a good multi-grain bread, that is a good meal. I don't care what anybody says unless you're unless you're actually allergic to gluten or whatever. Not like the ninety nine <laughs> not like They're the ninety nine percent of people who buy gluten free shit. Um, but no, I mean so it's easy. You could have you could go buy turkey and, and multi grain bread and you could have turkey sandwiches and 
and get shredded. But there's there's so many. I tell you what, the, the, there's so many healthy options for food right now. Restaurants on the go. Um, you know, people really don't have any sort of excuses as to why they're not eating healthy. It's not it's not a matter of I can't. It's just a matter of this is the choices I make. You know, anywhere you go, whether it be you know, you can go to a gas station and get a muscle milk and a protein bar. Any gas station in the country, and yeah, granted, it's not the most ideal meal, but it's a meal with you know a fair amount of protein, moderate amount of carbs, and so as as far as being on the road or anything else, like I said, it's um, you know, I and, and I'm this is coming from a guy who loves my pizza and beer and burgers and stuff like that, and so I do a lot of cardio to try to maintain uh, a certain yeah exactly. I had a few uh, <laughs> few last night out watching my uh, my buddy's band, but. Um, <laughs> But no, for traveling on the road and stuff like that, yeah, there's there's a ton of options. Um, and like I said, every gas station. And now when you travel, I just road trip to the Arnold Classic. I know we're going to get into that a little bit later. But it was about a 10-hour drive to Columbus, Ohio. And every other gas station has a, a subway or a, <clears throat> some sort of restaurant in it where you have healthy food options. So so traveling, being on the road, you know, working a lot, those aren't – you know, I understand that it's easier just to pull up to a drive through and order something. But you still have plenty of options. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a far cry from what it was. And yeah, to your point, the options are just insane. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, you know, whether it's... I went to, I went to Quick Trip this morning and, uh, you know, I went out and did Who my... Who should thing. be a sponsor of our podcast, by Who the way. should be. You guys talk about Quick Trip? No, but all I got was... <laughs> I got two... I got two egg whites. Uh, I got two egg white ham uh, egg, English muffins and a muscle milk. And the the muscle milk like two hundred calories or whatever I got, and the sandwiches are two fifty each. So it's you know, and I'm a, I'm two hundred sixty five, two hundred seventy pounds. So seven hundred calories in a meal isn't isn't very much for me. And that was a healthy breakfast. And had somebody else wanted to go in there that was smaller, you could have gotten a egg white with ham on a on a whole wheat English muffin and gotten a muscle milk. And for five bucks, you could have gotten a meal that's under you know what. 450 calories with probably 30, 40 grams of protein. There's, there's so many options everywhere. And, you know, one of the things that I hear the most is people's like, Oh, I don't know what to eat. And, and if you're trying to get down to three or 4% body fat, it can be tricky, but I don't know what to eat is a terrible excuse in these day and age. Like, yeah, yeah Oreos and chips, bad, you know, <laughs> lean meat, Greek yogurt. Good. It's not, it's not rocket science. One of my, pet peeves and i don't know if you agree with this but one of my pet peeves is uh when people well because everyone knows i'm a trainer for the most part so when we get talking in the consultations everyone i give them these ideas you know suggestions and recommendations that they could do and they're like oh nope can't so that's my biggest one of my pet peeves is hearing oh i can't like they shut it down immediately without even giving it a second thought what's your thoughts when you hear people say i can't uh See, I, I don't like motivating people. I don't. I don't. I, it's one of the things I don't like doing. You know, if somebody's like, I can't do that. Like, Fuck it. Don't, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, but like everybody's going to have excuses. I had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day because somebody had discussed how, oh, they've tried every diet. They can't lose weight. And I'm like, you're not, you're not, you're not doing it right. And, and they were like, nope, tried everything. Can't lose weight. And I said, let put just I, this is a, obviously a, an extreme hypothetical situation, but let's put yourself in a situation 
where the only food that you eat, the only food that you eat and the only thing you get to drink throughout the course of the day is what I give you. I am in 100% control. You have no access to food or beverages other than what's handed to you. I guarantee 100% that you will lose the weight. People who say that they've tried everything, and, and, and I understand that there are there's legitimate cases of people with thyroid issues and uh, certain drugs they're on for different um different conditions in that that make weight loss very difficult. That is the 0.001%, okay? The other 99%, and it's no, see, yeah, some people have slow, slow metabolisms and you're going to have to work harder and stuff like that. So I'm not going to say that, that, you know, it's not harder for some people. But if, if you're, you know, conscious about what you're eating and you make the right decisions, literally anybody can lose weight. So um, I guess, you know, my follow-up question would be like, well, why won't it work? That would always be my, okay, that won't work. Okay, well, it, it, tell me more. That's so one of the training things that are at my work, you know, when you're talking with people and in and, and conflict resolution, uh, one of the big things they use for conflict resolution is the phrase, tell me more. And I think that could be used very well as far as dieting stuff as well. Well, I can't do that diet. Okay, I'm not going to just call you out on your bullshit, but Tell me more. Tell me why you can't do that. And you'll find that people's excuses and their reasonings really fall apart. They have a ton of holes in them. And at the end of the day, it's just they just don't want to do it, you know. And so um, I think that uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people hire personal trainers because they want somebody to motivate them. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And then when they get there, they realize, OK, well, now I still have to be the one responsible to make these decisions. And so um you know, it's it's tough being in a position as a trainer. I have lots of friends that are trainers, and you know, you can, uh, you know, you can have somebody who works their ass off in the gym uh, and doesn't make any progress at all because their their nutrition or isn't on point. Or I trained a girl a while back, um, and I, I don't do much training anymore. But it was a friend of a friend, and I said I would. And this girl busted her ass in the gym. You know, like I mean, she went hard four days a week. It was Monday through Thursday. And like she, there's no no bullshit, man. This girl went got at it in the gym with her weight training and her cardio, and fucking drank every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. That was part of her lifestyle, you know. I think she was in her mid twenties at the time. That was part of her lifestyle. She probably had about twenty or thirty pounds to lose, um, you know, not not obese, you know, not in the shape she wanted to be in. You know, she wasn't somebody you'd see in the streets and be like, oh my god, she just lose weight, you know. She just wanted to lose a little bit of weight to feel better, and she was killing it in the gym with diet and cardio. And I saw it firsthand, and she made no progress, none, zero progress, and she was busting her ass. And it's, it, it spoke very loudly for the fact that you have to, you know, you have to take some responsibility for your diet. And, you know, you can tank five days of great progress in the gym with, with a, you know, a weekend of shitty decisions. You know, that's not to say somebody shouldn't be able to go out and have, uh, you know, some pizza or a burger or a couple glasses of wine or whatever. You still got to live your life. But, um, yeah, people like making excuses at the end of the day. You have to be accountable for your own stuff. And if you're not, you're just not going to see the results that you want to get. Well, yeah, because like at the end of it, you can only control like an hour out of her twenty-four hour day. So That's you, you exactly, you've it. got her good for that hour, but she has the other twenty-three hours to decide what she does. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, on the topic of pet peeve, give us one pet peeve that bugs <laughs> Dave Bay in the gym. Is it groaning? <laughs> no, I'd say no. I God, I you know. 
I'll be the first one to it. I'll be the first one to admit, like a lot of the shit that bothers me now, I was like the worst of doing it. You know, when I was in my twenties, like right now, like people who grunt too loud in the gym bother me. Check, I did that. That's a lot about environment, though. Like you go to a certain environment, and then I'm like, yeah, let's get to it. Um, guys who carry their water jugs around. Uh, and I'm also I'm guilty as fuck of that. But man, oh, yeah. oh, that's as that's that as so douche, that's as douchey as it gets. Are you bad? <laughs> and I did it though. I did it for years. I carried a jug around at the gym. <laughs> fuck, man. I did stupid shit. Uh, uh, you know, even at the Arnold Classic this last weekend, there's guys walking around. Just guys at at the expo walking around with their gallon jugs. Like, dude, you are not gonna get fucking dehydrated in the next three hours at the expo. You just look like an idiot. But my number one pet peeve, and this has happened to me at Crunch. I, I bounce back and forth experience in Crunch. And Crunch has a really long line of dumbbells, right? Yep. And they're, But their benches are fixed. I don't know why the fuck they did that. I love that place. But they anchored their benches to the floor. You can't move them or whatever. It's, they probably had to do it because of idiots or insurance reasons, I'm guessing, or both. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all the time. So kids, they have, they have it's like they'll be like, Two adjustable benches and a flat one. Two adjustable benches and a flat one. So there's plenty of variety, right? And these kids will take the dumbbells from the 25s, way the hell down on one side, and carry it down and use it on the bench in front of the heavy shit, right? So it's like, <laughs> if, look, if I want to grab a – the dumbbells go up to 120s, and there's you know a bench that's pretty close to the 120s. Like if I want to grab the 120s, I want to pick them up, walk back four or five steps, and sit down on the bench, Right. And I don't want to have to walk or roll the dumbbells over you know, 30 <laughs> or 40 feet. And Well, Dave, you can just do the farmer's walk and just yeah, make that a part of your routine. Fuck that. <laughs> uh, no, but that's been my that's been my pet peeve lately, and it's been happening, like, nonstop. You know, I'm one of the bigger guys at the gym, so I'll go in and, you know, my shoulders and my chest day and even back day, I'll use the heavier dumbbells. And I, don't, I guess I really don't use the bench much for back, sometimes for one-arm rows. But, yeah, that shit drives me nuts. That's... We could go on for two or three hours, and you could have a section like pet peeve in public, pet peeve at work. Pet, well, pet well, peeve in gym. public would be dominating this whole podcast if we went that route. Because <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. the one that I have in the gym is uh, when you see somebody with shitty form. Like you see them, they don't do everything. Like from how you've been shown or how you've done it, and you see them like doing the the whole rocking with with anything, with trying to make sure they can get those heavier weights up instead of doing a nice controlled lift. Yeah, again, I go back to the douchey. Uh, I've been there, done that thing. You know, I, there was, I did some pretty sloppy lifting in my younger years. Grabbed way too much weight, you know. And uh, and you know, I I, I won't lie. I, you know, you're trying to impress people. You know, the older guys, other bodybuilders, girls. You know, and uh, uh, pretty common, you know, uh, piece of advice that all bodybuilders now get now is you know, leave your ego at the door. You know, put your ego in your locker, you know, check your ego at the door, whatever. And that's that's what you have to do. And, and most of the people that are lifting with shitty form aren't even doing it because they don't know what they're doing. Most of them are doing it because they're using too much weight and ego lifting. So that doesn't bother me because it's like I don't that's not a pet peeve of mine at all. I don't, I don't care because that fucking that, that doesn't affect me at all. You know, you can you can do backflips in your underwear in the middle of the gym, you know, and I don't I don't give a shit what you're doing. That doesn't bother me. But when I want to use a bench next to the 120s <laughs> and you just carried 20 pound dumbbells over from the other side of the gym when there's an open bench right in front of the 20s. That bothers me. When people leave their fucking carts laying out in the middle of the Walmart parking lot, yes. and they're going around, that bothers me. 
All right, yeah. next time at Crunch, I'll be sure to keep those benches open for you. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to transition into Yarnold here, Dave. Uh, uh, now, last time I was there was in 2009. So obviously, 2009 to 2019, there's been a huge boom for the Arnold. Uh, can you kind of give us a walkthrough of kind of what you've seen over the years of change? Or I guess yeah. for, for people of our audience who who maybe don't even know what the Arnold is, I guess yeah, if you don't mind taking it. Yeah, so the Arnold Classic is a uh, – it started off as a professional bodybuilding competition in 1990, 89, 90, 91, um, 89, 90. I should know this. But so it started off as a professional bodybuilding competition, and it's essentially grown uh, to a mini Olympics. Uh, for lack of a better term. I think there's something like 120 sports um, and not just strength sports. So people think, oh, there's bodybuilding and powerlifting and strongman. No, there's wrestling, there's MMA, there's CrossFit, there's Spartan racing, there's fencing, there's gymnastics. There's, I mean, you name it. It is like a mini Olympics. And along with that, they have the biggest um, health and fitness expo in the USA is there every year. So uh, it's an absolutely huge expo, ton of energy. You have everything from equipment companies to supplement companies to clothing companies to health and wellness and lifestyle companies. And so it is a it is a massive event. Uh, you know, the bodybuilding competition, the Arnold Classic itself is still the kind of the highlight of the weekend or the main point of the weekend. Um, but it's it's really grown. You know, and in the uh, in the 80s and 90s, and even in the early 2000s, before internet and social media, it was all just successful bodybuilders. Like, who were the pros? And now, uh, you like I said, YouTube stars, social media stars, they'll have lines three times as long as popular bodybuilders because they connect better with the fans. And so, the Arnold Classic is just a really fun weekend. Um, it's uh, some people wonder why it's in Ohio. Um, former, I think he was the mayor of Ohio. Um, a guy named Jim Lormer uh, partnered up with Arnold, uh, you know, when they first started it. And they just kind of made this uh, this pact that they were going to keep it in Columbus. You know, it's very centralized um, here in the Midwest. It's easy to get to from just about anywhere. Um, they have a great exhibition center um, connected to three or four different hotels. I mean, obviously, all those hotels are sold out in every hotel within, you know, 20, 30 miles. But it's, it's a really fun event every year, and there's really something for everybody. So if you're involved in, in fitness or bodybuilding or, or in any way, shape, or form, you know, it's it's a really fun weekend. And it's definitely not just for bodybuilders. I think the expo this year, there was over 200,000 people, you know, finals for the bodybuilding. I think that, that theater probably seats, I don't know, maybe 5,000 or something. So, yeah, a, a ton of the people that come there don't even go to the bodybuilding stuff. They just want to go to the booths, you know, hang out, watch the stuff at the expo stage. I mean, they'll have arm wrestling, all kinds of weird stuff this year. One new thing I've never seen before, I don't even know what it's called. So you have two guys, like, sitting down. And is this like the a, way you posted on your Instagram story? No, 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 this is something different. So there's, like, a imagine, like, a like an 8 by 10 standing on, on the, the tall edge, right? Like a piece of wood, right? And you sit down and you put your feet up against it. So you're like facing the other guy. You both have your feet up against it, obviously on opposite sides. And they have like a stick, just like a like a two foot long stick. And each person gets a like a grip with each hand on the stick, like an over and under. <laughs> and you just have to pull the stick away from the other guy. Really? So imagine sitting down, like with you're you're sitting down on your ass with your legs extended, with your feet up against the board. And somebody is on the other side, and they put a stick in the middle, and you just have to pull the stick away from the other guy. 
So it's kind of like you're doing a roll or whatever. But it was, I was like, this is stupid. And then you watch, it. <laughs> and then you watch it for like a couple minutes, and then you you're like instantly Something. hooked. Like, oh, this guy's this guy's my guy. He's gonna <laughs> yeah. He's got that stick all the way. <laughs> and so, but no, the, the Arnold Classic is a, it's a ton of fun. Like I said, you don't even have to be a bodybuilding fan. And and I tell you what, the the strongman stuff is by far uh, the most fun for me to watch. Uh, you know, traditionally, ever since I started going, I've had responsibilities for covering the bodybuilding and the fitness side of it. Um, I was there this year for muscle and fitness and flex um, and uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of some scheduling conflicts with our video crews. And so I got asked to go cover the strongman stuff, which was for me, you know, I've seen the bodybuilding shows. I've been to a million bodybuilding shows, but I've never – um, gotten to watch a lot of the strongman stuff, and that was fantastic. Uh, Half Thor Bjornsson, uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones, broke his own deadlift record, and uh, he ended up getting his second title. But uh, yeah, the Arnold Classic, uh, it, it's grown. The expo was absolutely huge. It's grown in the number of sports, and it's really a weekend where there's you know there's something for everybody. So on your Instagram story, can you uh, describe that uh, contraption? I think you said it was actually pulled from the one of Arnold's. Yes. Yeah. So if you if you remember the original Conan, so how the first Conan started is Arnold and his his people got you know I don't want to say kidnapped and I don't know what what they called it back then. You know they just they went in. You know this one tribe goes in, murders all the men, takes the women and the children, turns them into slaves, and they had what was called a wheel of pain. So imagine. Um, just like a, a a big you know like three foot center pivot and it has all these arms that go off it like uh, take an old wooden wheel and take the outer ring off the outside of it so if you if you imagine an old wooden car wheel just without the outer the outer rim on it and people would stand up against it and push it in a circle and it was connected to a well system so as you pushed the uh, the wheel in a circle there was a pulley system that got well up from the water. And the opening scene of Conan shows Arnold pushing it, and they do like this time lapse. They show him pushing it as a little kid, and then as a you know uh, a teenager, and then he's a little older, and all of a sudden they pan in, and it's like this huge jacked Arnold. So they created an almost exact replica of the Wheel of Pain from the original Conan movie for the strongmen to push. It was twenty thousand pounds. Um, it had underneath the. Uh, on the inside had huge barrels filled with sand so you couldn't gain any momentum because the barrels would roll and you know the sand rolls up on the backside and then falls right to the center so the barrels weren't completely full with sand they were about half full and because of that you couldn't get any momentum and it was uh you know they they put it up days before so of course everybody's walking around like oh whoa what is that thing it was very ornate you know like these you know the, at the end of each arm, you know, and the arms were like giant, like logs, probably 12, 14 inches thick, the kind you've seen like on telephone poles or something like that. So picture like a, a 20 foot telephone pole and that's what was coming off. And the guys had to push that. But at the end, these was really ornate heads, like carved snake heads and lion heads and stuff like that. It, uh, you know, strongman's just about, you know, who's the strongest big ass dude out there. But, you know, there's definitely, uh, um, an entertainment side to it that uh, they really took advantage of this year with the new contraption. Yeah, so. I saw some of the pictures of that, Dave, and just I thought it was incredible the attention to detail that they had on it. Because I'm a, obviously a big fan of the Conan the Barbarian movies. You know, watched them since I was a kid. You know, and still do. And when I saw that pop up a couple times on YouTube, I was like, I couldn't believe the amount of detail that they got into it. Some uh, some company definitely made some money uh, that weekend cranking that baby out. 
Yeah, no, it would that and because they could have essentially made the same thing that did the same thing without any of that, without any of that detail. But um, it was, yeah, it was done phenomenally. I had some pictures on my my Instagram. Uh, it's David Bay, D A V I D B A Y E, and then the number seven nine. I put some pictures of uh, there's a video of Half Thor Bjornsson, the champion, doing it. He ended up getting second in that event. There's some pictures up close of like the heads and then some wide pictures so you can see the whole thing but it was really cool and i'll tell you what strongman has grown um by leaps and bounds over the last 10 years and now with the guy that's you know on the game of thrones being uh the number one guy in the world he's taken the popularity of strongman to a whole new level but strongman's you know so much different than bodybuilding and i'm a bodybuilding fan you know through and through but the reality is that watching a bodybuilding show if you're not that into bodybuilding can be a little bit boring i mean it's interesting you're like wow these these dudes are freaks you know but it's not that fun to watch they're on stage they're flexing and as a bodybuilding fan and as a media person and as an analyst when i'm watching you're you're very much comparing it like okay this guy's got this on this guy and you're not just sitting back watching it and cheering whereas strongman that's some shit you could put on you could put this arnold classic strongman competition on espn on a saturday night and you know people would sit down with their beers in a bar and and and, and love the hell out of it like oh holy shit i bet he can't lift that fucking thing you know <laughs> you know and and it's just strongman's just it's it's really fun to watch and it's uh it's one of the one of the definite crowd favorites there every year and especially now it just keeps growing and growing yeah, I was going to ask you more because I saw a couple of pictures with you and Mountain Thor from Game of Thrones, and I just I just thought it was cool seeing you know how big you were next to him, and he, <laughs> you pretty much looked like his child. Yeah. <laughs> and the one with you and him and Mark Henry, that was also a real nice picture too. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, one thing I always say to people, like the opportunities that I've had, and I don't know if risk is the right word, but there's almost like this risk that you're going to meet these people that you look up to or that these people you've idolized. And it's like, oh, man, what if they're dicks, you know? Yeah, and, the old uh, don't ever Yeah, like, man, if, if this guy's an asshole, he's going to essentially <laughs> ruin my childhood, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, and it's so cool because almost all these guys are just the coolest guy in the world. And half, half Thor, and he prefers, like, media people. He doesn't. And that's he just he's like eh, I don't like being called the mountain. They do you know like this the announcers in the mountain you know, but he prefers just being called Half Thor. But he's the <laughs> ni- he's the nicest guy, and Mark Henry is so genuine. And I get to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I have backstage passes, you know, for everything for media. And so a lot of people will ask that too. Well, do these guys just put on a smile for the cameras and then they're dicks when the cameras aren't rolling? Absolutely not. Like. Half Thor was sitting there taking pictures with these guys that were in wheelchairs. They they get, kind of gave him special access, so they were able to see it. And they asked for pictures. And, you know, this is 20 minutes before this guy's competing for, you know, the Arnold Classic Strongman. He's taking pictures with fans. Uh, you know, he's he's just a real genuine person. Mark, I'll tell you what, Mark Henry is as nice of an individual as you're, you're ever going to meet. Um, I know he's actually coming to wisconsin here coming up but mark is just the nicest guy and and a lot of these guys you know even i mean arnold is is awesome and, and you see so much cool shit but but uh yeah half thor is uh you know the biggest strongest dude in the world and he is one of the most polite athletes and the most humble guys i've ever met and it's it's you know, when you're that big, like you don't have to pretend. You don't have to be a try to be a badass. <laughs> you know, when you're six nine four, and he was four fifty this year. He was a little thicker than he's been in previous years. You don't have to try to be a badass. You don't have to try to be tough. 
you just are. And he's just, uh, he just is a really genuine person. And, and to see that up close. And like I said, to be able to see the behind the scenes stuff where you really realize that that's how they are. It's awesome. I was going to ask you, Dave, now that you bring up like behind the scenes and I don't know, maybe this is a lame question, but kind of like in pro wrestling, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that everyone's very intrigued with. Uh, is there any kind of intrigueness, you know, behind the scenes with like the Arnold that you've been involved in or seen or anything like that? Um, no, it's, I mean, backstage is a pretty cool place. There's a lot of, it's, it's weird. Cause some shows, the guys will all be BS and there's a lot of camaraderie and some of the guys have their headphones on and their heads down and stuff. But backstage at like a bodybuilding show, essentially you get the people there, they're getting their tans touched up in like these spray tents or whatever. <laughs> There'll be a small pump up area, you yeah, know? Um, the, I would say like the weirdest thing backstage at some bodybuilding shows and not at, not at local amateur shows. And I know a lot of people when they go to local amateur shows are nervous about, and they should be like all the local amateur shows and the national level shows have separate room for women. And they are very professional when it comes to, um, people's privacy and, and comfort and to make sure that nobody's ever put in an awkward situation. But sometimes at the bigger shows, I mean, guys and girls, people just be changing backstage and shit like on the open, you're like. <laughs> Hey, you know, Wang Chung. No, but but nobody cares. You know, I mean, you're. It's not. You know, just it's just people just change it. Um, it's which and that that's kind of funny to see. Like the first time you're, you know, you're walking backstage and there's somebody naked and you're like, oh hey, you know. Um, again, not a not a regular occurrence, but it happens once in a while and, and nobody nobody thinks twice about it. But um, no, I mean, there's. I get I get asked that a lot, like, oh, you see, like the juicy drama behind the scenes in bodybuilding, and it's like, <laughs> not, not really, you know. It's backstage, <laughs> backstage at a bodybuilding show, like everybody's like so hungry and so dehydrated and so tired. It's a pretty mellow place. Like you'd think it would be like all this, like, you know, hype and excitement. I don't know, like you know, the locker room at Notre Dame before a game. It's like, nah, like like backstage at the Mister Olympia, you know, behind the stage they have a really big pump up area. And then they have um, separate blocked off areas for women to get their tan touched up. Again, it's not like these women have to like be out in the open or whatever. There's, there's, they, they very much respect their privacy. But it's still a pump up area. And then they have the playing on the screens, you know. And there's an area where the guys get touched up for their tan. But everybody's kind of just chilling, watching TV. There's some media people. The best, most exciting thing that happened backstage at the Olympia this year was Shaq just showed up out of nowhere. Yeah. It was hilarious because. There's people, it was like, and it was seriously, it was the most random thing. Cause there's like guys pumping up and stuff, you know, getting ready. Media's back there talking. And one of the Dexter Jackson, one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, one of my favorites. And I was over by him doing some pictures and stuff. And I just hear him say, what the hell is Shaq doing here? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> not like in a, not like in a bad way. Dexter's like the coolest guy, but it was like the most random thing. And I'm like, what? Yep. There's Shaq. But um, no, and there's not, I tell you what, there's not a lot of like drama backstage and bodybuilding either. Like you see in football locker rooms or sometimes people get in arguments in the locker rooms. There's almost none of that. Like, like guys will come off stage and argue with each other and the officials don't put up with it. The officials on the NPC and the IFBB, the organizations of the shows I cover, they don't, they don't tolerate that sort of stuff. You know, they're not going to police who talks crap online and stuff like that. But um, that is one thing I will say. Well, there's a lot of things good I can say about the NPC and the IFBB. But at the shows, they make their athletes run a very narrow line. Um, you're representing the athlete or you're representing, you know, the uh, the organization. You know, you're representing your own companies and stuff like that. And so 
I wish I had something a little bit more exciting about some juicy drama that goes on backstage at these bodybuilding shows. The funny, I've seen one of the other funny things is like normally at the Arnold and the Olympia, they'll have huge like pizza and burger spreads, and you wouldn't think that. But like they'll be chowing down on pizza and shit like that because you know it's not gonna you're not gonna get fat in a half hour. So um, and some guys are very particular about the sodium and the carbs they take in and stuff. And some guys, you know, hey, it's half hour before I'm about to go on stage at night. I'm gonna have some pizza. So that's a weird thing. You think like here's the fittest people in the world. They're like mowing down on pizza backstage. So. Yeah, and you briefly touched on it, and I think maybe a lot of our listeners might not know. Uh, you just you hit it real briefly, but when you're at your competition day, so to speak, um, you're not exactly feeling the greatest. I mean, right? I mean, it's probably no, you're, you're, it's, at, you're, you're at your weakest. You're dehydrated. I mean, you don't have yeah. a lot of extra energy to waste because you got to go out there and just hold a, a fully flexed pose. And you know, I. I've heard of guys like blacking out on stage or, or passing out, you know, because they're just, they're so low on energy. Yeah. You're tired. That's the other thing. It's not like backstage at a, you know, nobody's got a lot of energy. Everybody's tired. Um, you know, some people go pretty extreme with, with water depletion. So you have people that are hydrated. So there's, there's not a ton of energy <laughs> backstage, you know, <laughs> people are pretty much beat and tired and, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously pumped up, you know, when it's time to actually go out on stage, you can see people like, Here's my '80s reference, like over the top. It's like a switch, <laughs> and you you see you see uh you see people like just turn it on when it's time to go. But yeah, it's a really it's a really mellow atmosphere backstage at the bodybuilding shows, just because everybody's tired and hungry, and uh and the uh the organization doesn't put up with any drama. I don't know if I've ever seen like two women or two guys like arguing with each other and you would think like with the number of athletes they would have like something like that would happen but again everybody knows that the organization absolutely doesn't stand for that and so you you don't have you don't have that kind of drama it's just non-existent so a lot of people may not know this Dave, but you have some uh and you kind of alluded to it a little bit by uh mentioning mark henry but you have some uh wwe ties correct <laughs> Uh, yeah, for a girl I used to do some work with, um, uh, Ashley Sabera, uh, I, we're friends, you know, we're not BFFs. She doesn't come over on Sunday for, for Kool-Aid and hot dogs. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like, oh yeah, we're best friends. But, uh, she used to do a little bit of work with muscular development back in the day. Uh, she wrestles as, as Dana Brooke, um, phenomenal athlete. And in fact, I, you know, I, it, it blows my mind knowing how good of an athlete she is at the WWE doesn't incorporate her a little bit more. Um, she was a professional or she's a professional fitness competitor. That's actually how she got in WWE. She's a very accomplished gymnast and I've seen Ashley, um, compete in fitness competitions and there's, there's nothing that any of those girls in the WWE can do that she can't do better. Um, you know, and I, I know there's a lot of things that go into it, promo work and, you know, and, in, in, uh, in ring presence and stuff like that. But yeah, she's really, uh, she's really cool. Um, she dated a, a friend of mine for a while, uh, who unfortunately passed away. And, um, you know, we talked a lot then, you know, she's hooked me up with some tickets to some wrestling shows. So, uh, I, uh, big fan of uh of dana brooke so you know we're always keeping our fingers crossed that she gets uh, a little bit more ring time and they push her a little harder but we'll see but i've had a chance to meet uh hulk hogan at the arnold Classic a couple of weeks ago met the rock backstage in uh in uh in pittsburgh i met triple h a few times um all those guys just super cool too i mean the rock is you know i had a chance to talk with him for a little while backstage totally behind the scenes and he's just like the I don't know. He's like the coolest fucking dude, you know? Yeah. And, uh, 
It's like he's he's exactly how you like he's like how you would hope he would be, you know. Uh, but yeah, and I'm a you know I'm a big wrestling fan. When I grew up, uh, you know, I was watching the Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man and uh, and Hulk Hogan and all those guys. So to be able to to be able to meet some of those guys is, has been pretty cool. Especially able to meet Hulk Hogan. So um, and he was he was like in a private meeting when I met him. But uh, a guy that I worked with at Muscular Development, Sean Ray, he's a Hall of Fame bodybuilder. Sean used to train out at Golds in Venice when uh, Hulk and if you, if you know him, you don't call him Hulk because apparently, like, that's he doesn't like that at all. Everybody calls him Terry. And he goes, Yeah, I know Terry back from the Gold's Venice days. I'm like, Dude, I don't fucking ask you for much, man. I do not, <laughs> I do not ask. And I, I do ask him for a lot. He hooks me up all the time. But for the sake of uh, being dramatic, for the sake of being dramatic, I was like, Man, I don't, I don't fucking ask you for much, dude. But you got to introduce me to him. And he was in a kind of a meeting, but he knew the guys he was in a meeting with too, as some supplement guys, you know. I'm like, just fucking take me over there. Just pretend like whatever. I don't fucking care, you know. And uh, so he's like, all right, let's go over there. He's like, hey, what's up, Terry? And he stood up. He's like, hey, Sean, you know, long time, you know. And then uh, Sean ended up talking with, they were the guys from BPI. Uh, he had a short, uh, short stint with them. And Sean was talking with the guys from BPI for a while. So I actually got the BS with, you know, I, I'll just call him Hulk. I, we're not on. Terry terms where I call him that. But, um, but no, he sat in BS with me in like 10, 15 minutes. You know, a lot of the pictures I get, you know, and it's a funny thing. People are like, oh, you get to meet so-and-so. And a lot of the people I do get to meet and hang out and BS with, a lot of times I get pictures. It's like, hey, man, can I get a picture? Yep, cool. Click. Thanks. You know, like both the times I've gotten pictures with Triple H has been, can I get a picture? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Come on. You know, and then, hey, thanks. That's it. I've never, like, talked to him. The Rock, I've had a chance to talk with him for a little bit. But, no, I sat in BS with him for probably 10, 15 minutes. He was always, you know, joking about, how, you know, how much he loved coming to Green Bay, you know, and the fans there were always nuts and stuff like that. And you knew you'd get a good pop when you were going to be at the Brown County Arena, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, nice. Holy shit, you know. But. No, it's it's been really it's been really cool and it's it's very surreal. You know, like I said, you when you grow up as a kid, you don't think like, hey, I'm gonna have the opportunity to meet Hulk Hogan or Arnold Schwarzenegger one day. And so the fact that I've had those opportunities has been pretty cool. I'm surprised Triple H didn't just offer you a contract right then. Yeah, right? too. There's uh, there's that's the people say, oh, you get a wrestling contract like dude, <laughs> at the Arnold Classic. Like I'm one of the little guys there. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of big guys there, but it's all you know. Obviously, you guys know for the WWE, it's a lot more about the a lot more. <clears throat> excuse me, about a lot more than you know just being big. It's about you know your athletic ability, being able to sell stuff in the ring, promo work, whether you're okay on a mic. Um, so. Just being a bodybuilder certainly isn't uh, isn't going to get you into the WWE. Well, that was one of the things that I always like talking to you about, Dave. Was like after one of the big WWE pay per views, I'd always love to bump into you at the gym and be like, "Hey, what did you think of this and that?" Because I always liked your insight as somebody who, you know, knows quite a bit about it, but isn't so knee deep in it that. You, know, you can't see the forest through the trees kind of thing. Like you can sit back and look at it objectively. Whereas I think as people who either have wrestled or are wrestling, they feel like, well, I have to respect this guy's work rate and I have to respect what, you know, they're doing. Whereas a guy who looks at it from more of a fan's perspective can be like, yeah, that guy might be able to wrestle, but he's the drizzling shits. And I don't, it bores me to death. I don't want to watch him on TV, you know? <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, wrestling's different now, you know, and then, Quinn, you and I have this conversation a lot of times about kind of the shift from these huge, like, jacked-up dudes, you know, because in the 80s and even in the 90s, just about every wrestler 
was either looked like a bodybuilder or you had your Vader, King Kong, Bundy, you know, big boss man build. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, it was like one of the two. And now you have like littler guys or guys who aren't, you know, like I have a hard time getting into Kevin Owens just because he's just, he's got a flat top and a big beer gut. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) and my buddies who are like really into wrestling, they're like, oh, no, but he's really good. And I'm like, ah, you're just not selling it to me. Yeah. And I think there's the disconnect. You don't see a superstar. No, but I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily need somebody to be like, you know, jacked up like, you know, like the warrior Hulk Hogan or Macho Man was. I I tell you, I'm a big fan of Finn Balor. I think he's great. And, um, you know, the one big twist that I've seen in in wrestling is um, it's just a lot more skill-based than it used to be. And, man, if you go back and watch those old WrestleManias, they are terrible. Oh, yeah. They're bad. (laughs) Like, you watch, like, Hulk Hogan and... Uh, you watch like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man or, or the Ultimate Warrior, and you're like, yeah, this is going to be so nostalgic coming to go watch WrestleMania 3. And you're like, holy shit, this is terrible, you know? Yeah. Because the guys today, um, even that, look, man, the, you can watch probably the entirety of WrestleMania 3 and not see some of the shit, you know, through the whole program that you'll see Kevin Owens do it in one, in one match. And so I think they demand a lot more of the wrestlers now. It's a lot more of a production. Um, so there's not as much focus on um, there's not as much focus on the guys just all looking like action figures anymore. Um, but there's I mean there's there's still quite a bit of that. If you look at the more popular guys, they're all still pretty built for the most part, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and I just want to say you know that's what can be frustrating uh, sometimes if you you know if you do know a little bit of these guys character you know like you know like with with Dana you know what she's capable of you know what she can do but yet you see these guys who are pigeonholed into these really shitty characters or they're not doing anything and you're just like man like what are they waiting for they got the guy right here you know yeah I tell you what I I I respect the the fact that these guys writing these scripts and these storylines for wwe must be difficult like oh, fuck, what do we do now you know we've been writing these storylines for 30 years you know like how do we keep and, and that's the thing where I, I try not to judge too much and i know wrestling fans man i know some passionate wrestling fans that get real upset with the storylines but it's like these can't be easy to create you know you have to constantly be creating drama between different people and that drama has to work around um, you know their injuries and a lot of the more popular people that you've seen necessarily aren't at as many events or have other things going on movies or whatnot and so to constantly be writing them in so I think it's tough um, I, I see a lot of uh, gimmicks that I'm not necessarily a big fan of but uh, overall, you know, we still have fun. I, I, I go to my buddy's house for pay-per-view. Uh, as soon as we wrap this up, I'm going to skate over to my buddy's and catch the end of uh, Fastlane. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't get enough into it where I get too frustrated with, you know, certain people winning or losing. But at the same time, there are wrestlers where I see it. I'm like, this is not the entertainment value I would like to see, you know. Or like I said, knowing knowing uh, how, you know, when I see Ashley go out there and I know how athletic she is, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, shit, they could have her doing all that stuff and then some, you know, so, but I'm sure there's a lot of guys capable of that, but I still find it entertaining. You know, I get, I get, I get razzed from my buddies who don't watch wrestling still sometimes like, ah, oh, how are you still watching that crap? I'm like, man, shut up. I'm like, you watch the fucking bachelor. Get out of here. You know, so, you know, like, and, and, the, and I think the big thing, like people who like still have no idea, like give me shit about watching wrestling. Like, Oh, but it was fake. I'm like, they don't that's not even a thing anymore like i remember when i was a kid you know in the early 80s and the mid 80s like there was legitimate talks 
is it real or is it not real? And now it's just marketed as sports entertainment, which I think is brilliant because there's no question as to whether the matches are pre-scripted or determined. But the, I think the level of athleticism is off the charts there, and that's what people appreciate. And the fans, the hardcore fans know that there's a storyline and, and stuff like that. But I think a lot of people who look at it as still being like really dumb are like, well, it's fake. And like, yeah, but that they don't they don't try to sell it as being real anymore. You know, it's just entertainment. And I'll tell you what, the live shows, the live shows are a ton of fun. I mean, you can get decent seats at the Rush Center for like 35 bucks. And it's a three hour show if you go to a Raw show. And the entertainment value you get for that for 35 bucks is through the roof, you know. And all you got to do is like the best value there is. In yeah, all you got to do is, I mean, you know, I've been, I've brought a couple of buddies who are totally not into wrestling. We'll go have, you know, four or five beers before the show and I'm just sitting <laughs> Two and, we'll sit, and we'll just sit and yell shit at the stage. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I'll yell like I'll be I'll be like, you suck, you know, like just I'll I'll I have fun. You know, I don't sit there. Oh, it's fake. You didn't really hit him. Like I'll sit there and talk trash and, and we'll get into it. Dave, you should uh, really go with Mason Quinn when he has two gallons of beer in him. Holy the chants are just something else, like purple, purple ropes, <laughs> HBK just out of nowhere. I, I can't be held accountable for what happens. I cannot, I cannot be held accountable once I exceed a gallon and a half. Oh, the beer was just flowing that night. No, but I, They could have been putting on a five-star match. Mason Quinn didn't give a damn. They had NXT at the Arnold Classic a couple of years ago. I was disappointed that that wasn't bad. I mean, it was just, and they had shit going on like the middle of the day. Like you'd come into the expo and you're like, oh, there's, you know, they're handing out shakers. And then off to your right, they're wrestling. It was, it was cool. <laughs> so, so weird. I was thrown uh, in there. Yeah. So, so Dave, another, I know your time's delicate here now as we are going to our go home, but I did a little YouTube search on you and I was just kind of still curious if Holy you're shit. still, if you're still, <laughs> I think you're going to pop when I, I finally get it out here. Are you still upset about Ronda Rousey potentially being in Roadhouse? Fuck yes, I am. <laughs> no, and I'm glad it. I'm glad it fell through. And here, here's the thing: Roadhouse doesn't even work anymore. Okay, the only thing that made Roadhouse work is that it was made in the fucking '80s. Okay. <laughs> Because guess what? In today's day and age, if a bouncer beats somebody up like Swayze did, you get fucking felony battery and you go to jail. You know, it was the 80s. If you were a bouncer and somebody was fucking off in your bar, you could kick the shit out of them and throw them outside and, you know, kick them in the face. And the cops just didn't even care. And if they did, they told everybody, break it up. Everybody go home. Roadhouse wouldn't even work in today's day and age. Now, granted, people would ignore that, you know, but um, no. And, and the other thing is like, you know, they wanted to have Rhonda, you know, because she was a badass, and that's cool and all, but it still creates a weird dynamic because, like, okay, is she just going to go kick people's ass and nobody's going to fight back, you know? And then, of course, if dudes are trying to punch her, it's just going to create, oh, there's assault you know, on a woman in a movie, you know? And it was just like, it it was it was Hollywood trying way too hard to to push Ronda. You know, and Ronda, you know, I she's obviously an, an incredible judo athlete, you know, one of the, probably the best of all time, but... You know, MMA caught up to her, you know, the skill set of the other fighters caught up to her and people found her weaknesses and she got her ass beat bad. I mean, she got the shit kicked out of her, 
And uh, her, you know, her reputation is like she, she her acting career is done because she's not no nobody looks at her as like the baddest woman on the planet anymore. You know, yeah, that, like that you truly get, did her in. Those you did her in. You know, she was she was in all kinds of movies because people looked at her like, oh, this chick's bad. You know, she's and then you see Holly Holm kick her in the fucking face and she's out on the fucking mat like Apollo Creed fucking fighting Drago and you're like. Uh, it kind of takes the luster away, you know. But I, I did a long video. You saw it on YouTube. I, I gave three guys. I think, and I think I said Jason Momoa in that video at the time, who turned out to be fucking Aquaman. You can do Roman a road, You can do a Roadhouse. Yeah, you could do a Roman. Now I didn't know who he was at the time. I said that, <laughs> you know. And I was like, you could even go like a fucking. You could get like a Jax Teller or like you know whatever his name is, Charlie, Charlie whatever. Roman. Charlie Hunnam, or even Scott Eastwood, get him juiced up a little bit, put on 20, 30 pounds of muscle, and you could even do that. Then you could have, like, the good-looking guy, like Swayze was, obviously, at the fucking door, <laughs> kicking people's asses. You could have a popular... It wouldn't have worked. And I have a long list of reasons why it wouldn't have worked. I think one was, you know, obviously the fighting thing. I said, two, you're taking a male role and replacing it with a female in a situation where I don't think... I don't think most guys at a bar regardless of how drunk you are would start you know throwing hands at at a female bouncer you know i just it's it's not it's not feasible and her no. downfall started with her losing to michelle rodriguez in fast and furious 7 that was that was tragic yeah <laughs> well, the only, i think the only thing tragic about that was her terrible acting in that <laughs> i tell you what though she's been she's been pretty good in WWE. Well, got a little bit better in the e yeah for yeah, sure yeah i i was at i was at god what show was it so one after the arnold classic last year and i forget which one it was one road to wrestlemania and she she picked up stephanie mcmahon and like dropped her backwards or whatever and she dropped her we were like you know ashley had gotten dana brooke had gotten us tickets and we were we were pretty up close and Rhonda put stephanie mcmahon right on her fucking head <laughs> like it was bad. It was really bad. And we were like, oh, shit, you know. And so I think, you know, sometimes there's this adjustment period for people who are, like, actually fighters, you know, learning, like, you can't be, like, slamming people on their, their noggins. But, no. Uh, thank you for bringing up that sore spot in my history, Dave. That caused, <laughs> that caused a lot of stress for me. Like, if they would have went through with a Roadhouse remake with Ronda Rouse, it would have been it would have been boycotted by everybody. Nobody would have <laughs> fucking gone. Because who's going to go? No. Hey, believe me, Dave, I can feel your pain. When they did that remake of Red Dawn, there's a big part of me that died inside. Uh, you know what? I and, and, and I hate to disagree with you on this, but I wasn't entirely upset, and here's the reason why. Okay? Here's my reasoning. One, you can't be just you can't be just running off all fucking willy-nilly remaking Patrick Swayze movies, all right? I think everybody in the world can agree on this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay? But if you're going to remake a Patrick Swayze movie, okay, and you have to cast somebody, okay, well, we got to fucking cast somebody. We need a movie. You know, who are you going to pick? Eh, Chris Hemsworth is pretty fucking cool. You know, <laughs> you went with you went with Thor, you know, so it's like, all right, you know what? I can work with this. You went with Chris Hemsworth like that to me. That's respectful to Swayze. You know, had they gone with like some chump or something like that, I'd have probably, I can't, I don't even, can I say I would have burned down? The, I'm going to get arrested now. Oh, you threatened to burn down a theater in a podcast. <laughs> I would have gone okay, to a theater. I would have gone to a theater after hours when nobody was there and started a very controlled fire in an area that was. Hypothetically, 
Yes, they want to damage anything. No, but but yes, volunteer. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna remake a Swayze movie, at least like give him the respect of putting somebody like super badass in the role that he had originally had. Right now, and I don't have a problem with Hemsworth taking the lead on that, but the story was just terrible, and and everything else it just didn't have the. I'll the tell you what, if, that the original did. If they tried just remaking Dirty Dancing, like I know they did Dirty Dancing Two, Havana Nights, it was kind of a sequel. If they tried doing don't a Dirty you know Dancing, fucking because I know. Um, <laughs> if they tried doing a Dirty Dancing remake. Uh, f- uh, fuck that! I don't even know. Like my brain like starts smoking when I start even thinking about it. You know, like, I don't know, Dave. I'm thinking Zac Efron could probably pull that off. I fucking like Zac Efron. I really do, man. I mean, when he you watch, like, frick. he was so annoying in those. I've never seen a High School Musical, but just his hair and his letter jacket. I hated him. <laughs> and he's he's turned out to be so cool in all his movies. You know, Baywatch, the Dave and whatever, Mike Need Wedding Dates, and Bad Grandpa. He was hilarious. I am a huge fan of the movie uh, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman and, and Zac Efron. So, you f- fuck, man. You might be onto something. He- <laughs> hey, there we go. You know? Yeah, because he's, like, that's a thing. Like, I, for as much as I love my 80s guys, like, I don't, I don't have to deny that I have man crushes on current stars as well. (laughs) I mean, it's different because you're not like growing up with them. You know, it's not like this nostalgic part of your childhood, but at the same time, like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. You know, if they were to pick Zac Efron, man, did you see Baywatch? He got like, he got bodybuilder competition ready, ripped for that fucking movie. When they showed him doing that, that jungle gym course, I was like, holy fuck, you know, (laughs) Yeah, but no, yeah, Zach could probably pull it off. I don't know who would now. You know what? I don't even want to go there. I'm going to start thinking, well, who would they who would they cast as baby? You know, and would she still carry watermelons? Would they redo it like scene for scene, or would they have to try to mix it up? And <laughs> fuck, I'm going to be here for another four hours. Uh, this poor guy's not even going to sleep tonight. Just going to be rolling around in his head, waking yeah. up in a cold sweat. Thanks for the bad medicine, guys. I had this terrible dream that they remade Dirty Dancing, you know? <laughs> they picks up asshole with a man bun to play Patrick Swayze's role, you know? Well, he's doing a vape pen the whole movie. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Vaping out behind the cabin with his man bun and his skinny jeans? Holy shit. I would fucking blow on <laughs> You've oh. had the time of your life. <laughs> Fuck that. Put so, Dave, we want to get you on for pod number two because uh, there's yeah, something yeah. that we want to get in with you. Uh, but before we go here, uh, I know you've been doing a lot for the Humane Society, so I thought you'd like to do a nice plug for that. Yeah, and I appreciate that. So, um, you know, my, my girlfriend and I had – we just – you know, we talked forever about just volunteering, you know, at pet shelters. You know, and I'm the kind of guy – I'm always sharing videos on Facebook and stuff like that. And and believe me, that helps. And so, you know, sharing videos about certain – you know, especially pit bulls. I mean, you know, people are doing such a great job of helping raise awareness and how good these dogs can be. Um, but I got to the point where I was like, you know what, sharing videos and, and stuff like that isn't isn't helping locally and stuff. So we just decided to do it, and we started volunteering at the shelter. We signed up online. They have a website, uh, foxvalleypets.org. You know, you register, and everybody's got to go through a little bit of a screening. You know, they got to make sure they know who's coming in out there. But uh, and we just started, you know, and 
uh, at the Humane Association here in the Fox Valley, uh, you have to do 10 hours of just general volunteering, cleaning, um, laundry, dishes and stuff like that before you can start walking dogs, which is, of course, what I wanted to do, you know. <laughs> and I guess, you know, when we both signed up, it was kind of like, yeah, we'll go hang out. We'll walk dogs. It'll be fun, you know. And and then like when you and I don't know if they have and I haven't really asked whether they do that mandatory 10 hours because, you know, they want you to see the behind the scenes stuff or otherwise everybody would just come walk dogs and nobody would do the hard stuff. But man, like in in the Fox Valley Humane Association, and I just do want to make it known they're not associated with the American Humane Society or the Humane, you know, because I know they've got a little, the Fox Valley Humane Association is independently owned and operated and stuff like that. Um, But the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes at this shelter and at every shelter, and we we just picked this shelter because it's close. Um, You know, uh, they have a lot of pets there. So I figured you could do a lot of good there. But, you know, I... It's been a really rewarding experience, and I've the, the probably the biggest question that I've gotten is like, isn't it hard? Like, you know, don't you you know feel sad when you go there? Don't you want to bring the animals home? And it is. I, I'm not gonna lie. The first like, four or five times I went there, you know, you're you're fighting back tears. You know, you're tearing up. You see dogs that came from bad situations, and and it can be difficult. But you start realizing that what you're doing there is is really important and it's really needed. And uh, they're always looking for volunteers. Um, the, the the amount of laundry that needs to be done there is just it's mind numbing and and you don't even think about that like oh I'm gonna go volunteer at a shelter oh they need somebody doing laundry 24 hours a day because every single day every cat every dog gets a warm blanket to lay down on um, a clean blanket you know and and that might not sound like much but you know from from some of these animals that came from bad situations that have been laying on concrete for seven eight years you know to have a warm blanket to lay on is is a huge comfort thing. And it helps. And so <clears throat> there's a, so much behind the scenes stuff that goes on there. Now I, I do I do laundry once in a while. I mostly do dog walking and I do photography as well. Uh, I kind of just got into that. A friend of mine out east, Brian Moss, that shoots all the advertising for uh, Universal's nutrition, Universal Nutrition's uh, animal campaign. Um, animal is not like dogs, but animal is in like, that's their supplement line. Um, Brian started doing that out east and I saw his pictures a couple years ago and got really motivated. And I don't know fuck all about photography but uh i was like i'm just gonna wing it you know and it's it's gone pretty good but um uh you know i would encourage people to you know wherever you live whatever shelter it is the factory humane association saving paws new possibilities you know frosty's um for furry rescues or that i i apologize i forget the name there but um Every shelter needs help. And like I said, it's great when people share videos on Facebook. It's great when people share pictures of dogs that need to get adopting, but it's even better if you can, you know, kind of, you know, step up to the plate and get more hands on deck and help out. And um, one thing they really stress at the Humane Association is that you don't need to have, you don't need to make time in your schedule every week or every month or even every other month. Like if you can help out twice a year for three hours a day, and you start multiplying that by how many people that are saying, yeah, yeah, so I get I get a couple hours twice a year. That 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 shit adds up, you know. And that I, I, I'm such a trucker. I'm sitting here like swearing during talking. <laughs> I'm talking about volunteering for pet shelters and swearing and stuff. But that's oh, that's God just me. They say they say they say people who swear more often are are more genuine and more truthful. So maybe that has something to do with it. But um, oh, no, guys. I, I encourage it. You know, if you're somebody who has kids, I think at the Fox Valley Humane Association, they have to be 12 or 13 years old and accompanied by an adult. Like, you know, go there with your kids and help do laundry, you know, um, help help wash dishes and stuff like that. You know, it's a, it's a good lesson, I think, for kids to learn that, you know, you're helping out. And, uh, 
They always need dog walkers. I'm telling you, you have to put in your 10 hours of doing laundry and stuff, but I'll go in like yesterday. I got in six miles of walking, you know, I got my cardio in just walking dogs. And it's like the coolest thing. You know, I just went and walked dogs and you know, they don't know me from anybody. Like it's, it's crazy. Cause like some of the dogs, you come up to their kennels and they'll look at you like, you know, back the fuck up, you know, like, <laughs> like, and you're like, oh, I don't know about this dog, you know, and then you grab their leash and like, you want to go for a walk? I shouldn't even say that that loud. Cause my dogs will start spinning in circles out in the living room. <laughs> but, um, no, as soon as you grab the leash, you know, like every dog is your best friend, you know, and it's, it's so cool. And, uh, it's very rewarding. And I guess that's the one thing that I really, really try to tell people. And I don't know if that comes across as being cheesy or, or whatever, but you know, I've had some, you know, I've, I've had some successes, you know, career wise and, and, you know, bodybuilding and martial arts and stuff like that, where it's been personally rewarding, you know, for seeing my hard work pay off with some victories, but it's like that versus like rewarding because you're doing some good stuff is, is very different. And so that's the one really neat thing I found about volunteering is that it's a it's a very rewarding um, experience. And uh, and I, I highly encourage people to do it. There's there's no such thing as too many volunteers, um, you know, and it's better to have uh, 100 extras than to be, you know, five volunteers short. So, you know, keep that in mind. No, and absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd agree with you 100 percent on that. It's it's easy to sit on your couch and hashtag something, but it's a hell of a lot more. Um, impactful to get off your ass and go do something. You know, yeah, I mean, but, anybody can sit and, and make a big deal on the internet, but what have you done about it? You know, what yeah, have you personally but, done? Yeah, and I and I say that, but I do, but I do also, um, I you know, even something as little as sharing. You know, I went and did a photography session with that uh, little pit that had to have his eye removed, and you know, it was like the saddest thing. And it got five hundred shares on Facebook in less than forty eight hours. Probably. 10,000 people saw that post and and all you had to do was click share. So I agree with you 100%. Like if you want to make a difference, you know, sometimes you got to take action, but that's the that's the power of social media though. No, it you really right. is. Yeah. That is really the power of social media. And and so I, you know, I'm I'm no, I'm with you 100%. Like I'm like, "Oh, you know, sit on your phone, it's not doing anything. Like get off your butt and do something." But at <laughs> the same time, like I, you know, I post these pictures and like people I've never met are sharing them and that's helping. And, and I think the biggest thing for um, for social media and sharing stuff is just the awareness that even Facebook alone has raised for um, bully breeds and pit bulls and stuff like that. I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't know anything about them before, you know, watching Facebook videos. You know, I'm not going to go on Google and, and, and research these dogs. You know, you just hear, hear the bad stereotypes and you start seeing these, you know, educational stuff. And, and so I, I still think, you know, <clears throat> it's one of those things where it's like, Yes, taking action is going to be better, but even even people just sharing and helping create awareness is uh, it helps because you know if if all you do is see a video about these dogs on Facebook because somebody shared it, if that gets you thinking that you know okay maybe when I go to a shelter to adopt a dog I'll be a little bit more open minded towards that then then you made a difference by just sharing something so that's what I encourage people like I don't I try not to get down on people. And, and, and use that kind of verbiage where I say, like, you know, don't just be on your computer. Get out there and do something. Because in this instance, you know, shit, man, getting on your computer, you can it's that's that's a case where you can, you know, you can actually make a difference. You know, and we see stuff like that with lost dogs. You know, you'll, you lose a dog and somebody will share it. The next thing you know, uh, you know, 10,000 people have seen a post about a lost dog in a, in a time frame where, I mean, how would you reach that many people prior to social media? You just right. wouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Well, fantastic, Dave. Well, we're going to let you go because we know your time is valuable and we appreciate every bit that you've given us. <laughs> My time's not that valuable. <laughs> <laughs> no, for for real, though, we want to get you on for another yeah, one coming yeah, up. I'd love to come back. We'll, uh, we'll spend an entire hour talking about... Patrick Swayze remake. We're not even going to. We're not even going to talk about his original movies. Potential remakes. There you go. We'll, remakes. We'll, lay, we'll lay out the Swayze movies and talk about who we would cast in those roles in 2019. Well, we your, do t- your top five for Dirty Dancing 2019. Your top five. I, I expect like legal oh, notepads oh, from each oh, of us having yes. good notes and reasoning. Well, we do want to do an 80s decade, so that would probably be the feature with Dave Bay. Uh, I would be wholeheartedly disappointed if you guys didn't have me on for some sort of 80s feature. Deal. Alright, Dave, we're going to let you go so that way you can finish up fast lane. You haven't missed much, trust me. <laughs> Alright, well, like I said, I'd be more than happy to be back on anytime. Alright, guys? All right, Thanks, all right, Dave. Thanks. You have a good one, bud. We appreciate right, it. Take it easy, fellas. Yeah, this has been fun. we got to do this again. we got to do this again. Soon. Bad Madison.